my friends, the great experiment. Strange new world. Head trick, trick. Would you look at that? The greatest trick, trick. Two people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star trick, trick. The greatest trick, trick, trick. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. A lot of people uh, feeling very forgetful on this episode. Nobody has a uh, anything done to their brain to protect their honor. But uh, I guess they do have things done to their brain, but not like done by a physician. Well, uh, one big takeaway for me is that more people should wear helmets uh-huh. on this show, just generally. Should I wear helmets to protect my memory? Like, uh, my memory's failing as well. I attribute it to being like almost 40 years old. But uh, maybe it's not that. We had a great meet and greet experience related to the re-encounter at Farpoint event that we've been doing. A couple of people we met were brain scientists. Yeah. Specializing in uh, cognitive decline, I think. <laughs> I mean, that's how I remember it. As soon as they said yeah. brain scientists, it was the only thing I could think about. Well, their conjecture was that science fiction fans are subject to less cognitive decline. But what my theory presupposes is I am proof that that's not possible. <laughs> yeah, my, my wife would like to have a word with these scientists. <laughs> my wife would like to speak to these scientists' managers. <laughs> yeah, holy moly. I, I immediately signed up for their research program on the spot. Yeah. I got to find a way to reverse the effects of having a Star Trek podcast. I'm afraid my condition's terminal, though. Oh, man. Yeah, it's a real not-even-once kind of situation. I was looking at a picture of myself and Chris Bowman from back when my only podcast was Let's Drink About It. Oh, I was so bright-eyed and (laughs) bushy-tailed. I wonder if a viewer of the show who, like, really listens at one speed while not doing anything else, like... The classic greatest gen listener of just someone sitting in a dark room, mm-hmm. sitting in a, in a chair straight up, just listening to our show intently. Yeah, if, if that's not how you consume the show, you are an outlier. Like if you listen like in the car on your way to work or, you know, well, restocking library shelves or doing illustrations or whatever, that's weird. What most people do is they go down into the basement, like turn the lights low and just listen in headphones while sitting in a chair with their hands flat on their lap. I'm imagining that person having listened over and over and over again to our work, like straight on through. That's the sort of FOD that will notice the canary in the brain mine of our cognitive decline. Like they will be able to tell. And I'm hoping that friend of DeSoto out there will get in touch with the brain scientist that we met. Yeah, yeah. To sort of signal that it has begun. I mean, yeah, I feel like the third or fourth time I tell an anecdote about what a weird childhood I had or whatever, that should be the kind of indication that that really worries that type of listener, right? I really hope, like, whatever happens to me that ends my ability to do the show, and by that I mean accidental or intentional death, (laughs) uh, cognitive (laughs) decline to the extent that I can't do the show anymore— I just hope that happens uh, at the end of a season, you know, like yeah. clean break, good for the show style. Mm, totally. I think that would be what's best, right? That's ideal. Uh- <laughs> you ever think about dying, Ben? I do. All the time. 
here's the problem, Adam. I'm antsy about getting into the episode because I don't want to forget anything that happened. Oh, I see. All right. All I right. know it's going to pour out my ear if I'm not quick about getting my thoughts laid down on tape. All right. Well, I'll get into it with you, Ben. I'll get into this weirdly titled episode. It's Strange New World Season 2, Episode 4. Among the Lotus, Eaters. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Let's fly. Uncertainty. Charting a new binary star system with the Cayuga. Now that's romantic. <laughs> Pike and Captain Battelle also on a mission of their own. Side mission. Charting the unexplored parts of each other's relationship. Yeah. She's gotten him a very sweet gift. An Apelian Mariner's Keystone. Which... For my money, just looked like the kind of necklace that you buy off like a, a rug on St. Mark's place in, in the East Village, you know. Ben, I'm definitely the sort of person who could not tell you what color your eyes are. <laughs> and I say that ahead of this observation. Are they kind of leaning into Captain Patel's dimple at this point in a way that like season one Captain Battelle. I don't feel like the dimple was a third character in scenes with her and Pike, but now it's all I can see. It's an incredible dimple. Yeah. I mean, when you try to represent like what gravitation does on a two-dimensional plane, uh -huh. you, you can, you know, pull like a, a bed sheet taut and you put heavy spheres and they they make depressions in that bed sheet that, you know, a marble would roll toward or whatever. Sure. And I feel like Captain Battelle's dimple has a gravitational effect on the camera of Strange New World. So it's it's a, a light effect at first, but as the camera gets closer and closer, it's inevitably drawn in and cannot escape the pull. I would like to live in Captain Patel's dimple when the weather changes in LA, you know? Mm. Just for the winter <laughs> months, maybe. Uh-huh. Oh, it looks cozy. <laughs> I think I could make it there. So they're having one of these... Uh, you know, power couple dinner dates where neither of them can get their job to leave them alone. Yeah. This is a sad scene. I didn't like this. This is like when someone in the marriage just has work blurping their phone the whole time during dinner. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's no fun. There are a million movies about a 90s business dad having to throw his phone in, in the ocean at the end of the movie or whatever for this exact reason. Pike has an interesting command to Una when she tries to bust in with a message that isn't like of an emergency nature. He asks for no messages for the next 30 minutes, which leads me to believe that whatever he and Captain Battelle do usually takes that much time maximum. Mm -hmm. Well, it takes considerably less, but they do need eight minutes to kind of get themselves back in taking phone call shape, you know? I lasted 22 minutes. <laughs> Captain Battelle gets a call from Admiral Eldon, and she's like, what are we talking about? The northernmost province in Hyrule? <laughs> but no, it's an actual admiral that is calling to break some bad news. It seems like this phone call takes a long time. It's fucking Admiral Pasak's fault. Yeah. I, have we seen a spelling of Admiral Pasak? Pasalk? Oh, geez. Is there an L in there? It sounds like it. <laughs> There's definitely a P, right? Anyways, that JAG officer has uh, seen fit to punish Captain Battelle and 
fuck her career up for having lost in the big Una Chin Riley case. So she didn't get the promotion to Commodore that she's been waiting on. And uh, it's Admiral Eldon that had to call and break that bad news. You know, Admiral Pasak doesn't have the courage of his convictions. Can't look her in the eye to tell her this. Admiral Pasak made both the promotion and her dimple go away. (laughs) I don't know which is more sad to think about, really. Really devastating. I really hate that Admiral Pasak. Yeah. I know that they're sort of setting up like a Gorn War, but what I'd really like to see is Admiral Pasak being the, the big bad of season two. Yeah. Yeah, he's headed that direction, certainly. Interesting moment for Pike to choose relationship suicide by martyrdom. Maybe, maybe we should pull it back a little. Patel even says it like, you're choosing now yeah. <laughs> to do this? Your timing is perfect. I was really with her on the timing. Not good timing, Captain Pike. Dreadful timing, really kicks her while she's down and isn't there for her in a moment where it seems like she really needs a stable source of comfort. So she heads back to her ship. Who's going to eat all this sauce? (laughs) That's the great thing about sauce, like alone, like not dressed up on noodles. You can put that in a freezer. Mm. It'll keep for months. Yeah, I guess so. I've never felt like I had... Too much sauce, you know. You've never had leftover sauce? I'm guilty of making too much sauce all the time. (laughs) Pike gets called up to the bridge to receive a message, to receive a mission. And uh, did you see how he put the candles out, Adam? I did see that he put a candle out with his palm, and he kind of missed the put out with the first one, and then like really hammers it down on the second one. Oh, uh, there's two candles, so I thought he just palmed out two of them. Oh, really? Oh, okay. This guy is made of tough stuff. Has he been working in a quarry his whole life to get calluses on his hands thick enough that he can just put a candle out with his bare palm? I think what he went through with Captain Patel was so much that he just wanted to feel physical pain instead of emotional <laughs> pain afterwards, and that's why he went in with the palm. So it's like a welcome distraction. Wow. <laughs> You'd think a guy who is going to end up in a beeping chair covered in burns mm. would be a little more reluctant to put parts of his birdie into flame. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? You would think a guy that missed the Klingon war wouldn't know about choosing your pain. But he does. He chooses physical. Ben, do you uh, know what this sensitive message from command is about? What's it about, Adam? Rigel... Save on! <laughs> you just hit Rigel 8. If you like pina coladas, bring it on! This McLaughlin group gets us caught up. Issue 1. On what goes on on Rigel 7, based on an original series episode that we watched for this very show. We did. I was in a cage, a cell, in some kind of a zoo. I was uh, delighted that we were going back to Rigel 7. Delighted we don't have to watch an extra credit episode. <laughs> We've already done it. <laughs> they do a great job of describing a thing without putting it down. Did you notice that? Like yeah. Bronze Age, hunky gladiator types. Right. They haven't made it into warp, but that's okay. Everyone's on their own speed. Bronze Age does eventually become a slur over the course of the 24th century. But yeah. right now, in this part of history, 
Uh, it doesn't have that connotation. No one's going to a Halloween party dressed as a Bronze Age gladiator anymore. Ooh, no. <laughs> you used to be able to get away with that. Yeah, that's how you yeah, don't get promoted to Commodore. Yeah. Somebody turns up an old Facebook post where you addressed it as someone from the Bronze Age. Well, apparently there are concerns. So loincloths and swords, yada, 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 but they've got photographs because this is a planet that has been, you know, routinely spied upon by Starfleet ever since. Yeah. They look at a bunch of photographs taken from orbit and oh no, oh no. Is that a Starfleet logo on the surface? Starfleet topiaries have been grown on the surface of this planet. They grew it in their bush, didn't they? <laughs> they cut their bush into a Starfleet logo. Who does that? <laughs> you go to Star Trek Las Vegas enough. Mm. Uh, yeah. You'll see that. You're going to see a lot of upside down comm badges yeah. when you get in, the, in that pool. <laughs> so the mission on the table is clearly... Pike, you did this. Yeah. You did this on this mission, and you need to undo what you caused down there. You need to shave the bush. You need to take all the logos out. You need to take whatever tech you might have left behind, because that's part of the, the catch-up we got in this meeting, is like that last mission ended pretty poorly. Some people died. They had to get out of there real fast. So they got to go do a cleanup job, and Pike's just the guy for it. Yeah, I mean, when... You leave three people in the field and a bunch of equipment. It's inevitable that that's going to lead to cultural contamination. They should have at least cleaned up the bodies by now, right? Yeah. I mean, so they describe this as like, this is going to be an undercover recon operation. We're just going to take pictures and Una wants to get out of it right away. And there seems to be some undercurrent of, hey, remember how we just came really close to you and I both being locked up? Yeah. Like, we got to really, like, stay buttoned up in terms of our presentation to Starfleet. So going and cleaning up a mess is actually a great look for us. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. And Una in this scene, like, after the meeting adjourns, Una's like, yeah, so speaking of messes, I noticed <laughs> that uh, whatever the warp drive equivalent is of, like, hanging up a phone in a fight. That's what the Kyoga did, warping out of here. <laughs> she really reads Pike like a trashy hollow novel. Yeah. <laughs> this moment. <laughs> what do you think an angry warp looks like? Oh. That's what she did. Yeah, yeah. It's like slamming a tent flap. Yeah. We decided to take some time apart. Oh. That, that, that is now your chair, Captain. Oh, it's a new we get an Ortegas's log, and Ortegas is getting pumped because she gets to go on the away mission for this one. I don't know what she's more excited about, that she gets to go to the surface or that she gets to wear the costume. It's big fun. The costume of the uh, the people of Rigel 7 features a lot of fur, mm -hmm. some funny hats. Okay, Lawrence now. Recon 101. Ortegas is just all in on this sort of Renaissance fair look that she's got going on. And she's also psyched about the challenge of a shuttle landing on a planet like this because there's lots of rocks in orbit and lots of, uh, you know, weather on this planet. Yeah. They're going to be making a, a pretty death-defying landing. In the corridor, Spock kind of lays out the dangers for both halves of this mission. There's going to be the part on the Enterprise in orbit, avoiding all of this shit up there in the form of these 
rock pieces. And the shuttle that goes to the surface is going to have to get through this shit too. Yeah. But Ortegas, unfortunately, is not going to get to go on this mission. Yeah. Big bucket of water dumped on her fun. She's going to have to stay aboard and uh, work the controls to keep them from bonking into space rocks. And Pike is going to fly the shuttle. Wouldn't you passive aggressively keep the costume on to fly the mission? <laughs> I really. At the helm, I would. Yeah. I really thought that's what Ortegas was going to do. Especially because she blames Spock for this reassignment. Like doing that at him, wearing the costume at him mm-hmm. would be big fun. <laughs> and then for like the rest of the episode, how confusing would that be if everyone's suffering from the memory loss and she's dressed so differently and she doesn't know why? so we get this fantastic landing sequence yeah i just thought that the the shuttle coming down through the clouds and going past this impact site was so cool there's a there's a huge crater on the surface with a an intact space rock in it that they go right past when they land pike explains that uh, they're not going to be taking phasers or tricorders on this mission it's it's him and Benga and La'an, and they're going to be using like sextants and compasses and uh, spy glasses that like the captain of a pirate ship might use as their instruments. Do you think the show made a mistake in not fully resolving Dr. Mbenga's green juice situation? Hmm. Because like, Anytime he's involved in anything anymore, (laughs) I'm looking at him seeing if he squirreled away any of the green juice. Like, is this going to be a green juice episode? If they're not taking future weapons, it kind of seems like you want the juice on you, right? Right. But isn't the way they administer the juice also kind of futuristic? It kind of seems like you could take that regular style. Oh, you could just do it like a wheatgrass shot? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like at the the juicery, they've got the shot that's like so gingery. They're like, that's actually not for everyone. That's a really fucked up yeah. <laughs> juice right there. We actually don't recommend that to you. Like this is that kind of shot. You pretty much have to be as hangover as anyone has ever been yeah. for us to feel good about selling you that one. There's a reason we call it, I prefer hangover. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking about that a lot in this episode, basically throughout. Like, is he going to accidentally tap his pockets and find it. Oh, and yeah. And then what happens? <laughs> find them! La'an and Benga realize that they're there because they both kick tons of ass. Yeah. And the captain has basically brought them because with the two of them specifically, he don't need no stinking phasers. It's a real moment of like SNL Schmidt's gay sketch when people look inside this box and they're like, no weapons? i love this box too you and i are such nerds for the luggage of star trek when pike wheels this thing out like it looks so lived in and like with that non-symmetrical you know damage to it yeah i love that attention to detail to this stuff it's good stuff yeah so laan pretty quickly gets tinnitus and they're walking away from the shuttle and I like the way this is edited because subjectively La'an is like, ow, my ears, and is like a little distracted. And they're like, hey, what's going on? And you think that they're right outside the shuttle, but they've been walking for six hours. That's right, Ben. That's because this is chronometric tinnitus. (laughs) (laughs) I love this scene for, like, so often in Star Trek or in anything, Mm. 
someone is suffering from a malady and they cover it up. They're like, nope, I'm keeping this to myself. I'm strong enough to do the mission I was assigned to or stay in the haunted house or whatever <laughs> example you want to use. Great job by La'an coming out with it. Hearing a weird thing? Feeling strange about the time? Do we want to go back at this point? Being six hours away from the shuttle? They decide collectively to keep moving forward. This is the tactical option that seems best given the options they've got. Hey, Mabenga, maybe like try the green juice. <laughs> maybe a, a super shot of ginger would help her out, right? They make their way to this building that we saw from orbit and it's got kind of some castle energy, but it's also got some sort of like high rise office building energy to it. It's like it looks like parts of Chicago. I guess so. Yeah, uh, it's got the the Federation logo on the door, and they're you know looking at the guys guarding it, and they have guns, and they're like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how'd they get guns? That's a surprise. This is way worse than we thought it was going to be. Do you think Pike would have chosen differently back at the shuttle when it came time to to bring the gear? Had he known this? I don't. Boy, that's a great question. Uh, Maybe they just stay in the shuttle and, and like bombard them from orbit. Bombardment. If you're La'an, you've got to have the secret squirreled away ankle holster sidearm, right? You're a badass security person. Yeah, but she's still so broken up over what happened with James Kirk that uh, right. she's like, she's not on her A game, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Pretty quickly, some some guards find them, and these guys are wise to who they are. These guys know who and what the Federation is and that they are Starfleet representatives, so they get hauled into the throne room and, like, starting to get the sense that Pike and Mbenga are uh, experiencing some similar symptoms to La'an at this point. But they get hauled before the king, King Zack is one of the KIAs that they thought that died on the previous mission to Rigel 7. Shocking development. Yeah. When this guy reveals himself. Now he's High Lord Zacharias, and he's fucking pissed. <laughs> That's quite a promotion from Yeoman <laughs> to High Lord. Yeah. How many pips at once <laughs> does that include? Oh, man. What a moment. What a moment for Pike. Because you, you see it and you hear it. It's like that combination of being like relieved and happy that someone's alive, but also like the recognition that you fucked up. Yeah. Because Pike would have gone back for him had he known he had survived the attack. He was sure he was dead. He was positive. But this doesn't do it for High Lord Zack in this scene. <laughs> no. Feels right to watch you suffer like I did. Zack has ascended the ranks to High Lord, but he still doesn't have the stomach for torture, so... He's going to let the planet do that. As he describes it, there's a radiation here that affects your brain. And he says, you know, some of the things you may have already begun to experience so far, the, the ringing, the time jumps, the concentration, the fear. Yeah. Maybe you've gotten to fear already. Fear is the mind killer. You're clearly not full Kalar yet, but <laughs> you'll get there. It's clear that even though he's really ascended in this society, High Lord Zack is a pretty damaged individual. And Pike, you know, as they're getting dragged out, calls out to him. He says, yo, man. And he says, I said, stop calling me that. I'm High Lord now. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it 
King Zack is pretty smart, isn't he? Like, for someone suffering from radiation poisoning, like, not all the way, but partially, right? Seems partially, yeah. He knows there's no going back for him legally, and we know that because this episode's proximity to the last episode is such that just a full-on fucking trial, again, (laughs) is not something anyone wants to go through. Yeah, At this point in the season. But he's violated the Prime Directive so willfully and so badly that he can't in any sense like return to his old life. Once you're king, you don't want to not be king anymore. No. Fuck that. Way too good. I mean, heavy lies the crown, but also like better to have a crown than not. Yeah. Hey, where are the Kalar ladies? Is a thought I had in this scene. Mm, Yeah. They don't show that room. (laughs) No. I guess not. By bringing that up, I mean, no one mentions La'an as a unique aspect to someone they're taking hostage. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. I mean, but they do seem to be like, they've put her in the same prison cell as Mbenga and yeah. Pike. So it's not like they're super gender segregated as a society. Maybe they don't even know. Yeah, maybe they don't. King Zack is not going back. King Zack is staying in the castle eating giant turkey legs for the rest of his life if it's up to him. Yeah. All three of them lose time in this cage outside. There's a way out of any cage and I'll find it. Lon wakes up and like doesn't even recognize them and they don't remember who they are, why they're locked up, who locked them up, like everything about their identities is kind of gone. Space madness. Every pet owner knows that you don't wake a sleeping security officer. Mm. And this is why. She <laughs> lashes out and she hits Pike. <laughs> and it's not her fault. No. no. It was an accident. It's instinct. It's going around, too. It's starting to happen to Ahura up on the ship. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like knowing that. Yeah. This Rigel 7 madness is spreading. And Uhura also does the right thing. W slash R slash T, a surprise symptom. She gets help, right? She lets everyone know and uh, agrees that it's a good idea to head to Six Bay. Ortegas volunteers to take her down there. When we get to Six Bay, Nurse Chapel is like taking a look at the situation. We realize that this is not isolated to the comm station. Uh, Multiple people on the ship are getting hit by these symptoms. We've got a medical emergency on board. You got to take this conversation further away from the bio bed, don't you, if you're Nurse Chapel? Because <laughs> she looks at the at the brain scan of Ahura. After telling Ahura pretty directly everything's going to be fine, she looks at this thing and she's like, That doesn't sound good. There is no way she's going to be able to fix all these lobes. Basically, every lobe is bad. All these lobes are super fucked up. Yeah. I mean, her lobes look like uh, some kind of Jenga set that Jim Shimoda might put together. Incredible. It's bad. Oh, yeah. It's not looking good. Right before Spock's radio call to her, there was a really interesting sequence of edits here I wanted to talk about with you. There's your pretty standard like shot reverse shot between Ortegas and Chapel having this conversation. And that's pretty standard, like dirty single over the shoulder, shot, reverse mm-hmm. shot. But then there's a shot that breaks the line and then moves to the other side of that line again Whoa. before Spock radios in. 
And it felt like two extra cuts in there that you wouldn't ordinarily get in a sequence like this. And I was thinking about it and I was watching it and I rewound it like 10 times. It moves Ahura from the background to the foreground. Interesting. In the scene, visually, in a way I thought was really cool and really unusual. That is really cool. Did you notice this? I didn't. I was probably writing notes down when that happened, but uh, I love when they do stuff like that. Because I feel like nine people out of ten aren't going to notice the like filmmaking technique at play. But Well, it was the line break that got my attention. I was like, oh, that's weird. And then when they cut back across it again, that was just really interesting technique. Yeah, but it's like that's like great directing the camera because without saying it explicitly, it puts a character's ailment at the center of your thought process, you know? Right, right. Really interesting work there, I thought. Down on the surface, we learn a term for what's happened to the OA team. They had a bad forgetting. And this local dude is going to help them recenter themselves, he calls it. This is like a culture that has a whole bunch of adaptations surrounding helping them remember what the fuck is going on because everybody goes through this on this planet. They lose time. They forget who they are. They have to like get up every morning and deal with the fact that their memory is basically not something that they can rely on. Right now, just be in this moment. Ladies and gentlemen, read Bernie. I think things could have been a lot worse. When you need a character actor to share some important information to the story, and that information's sad, but not too sad, sad with an acceptance of the sadness, Mm. you want to read Bernie. You really do. This guy is great. I love his work in this episode. I think he's been great his entire career, but holy moly, Great guest actor brought in for this one. He really is. He has a real interesting way about him, doesn't he? He mentions a totem. He mentions recentering. Yeah. He seems like the sort of guy that has a copy of Be Here Now, but he's not an evangelist about it. He just kind of lives it. I thought this was so interesting because it's sort of, you know, like we learned the rules of gremlins at the right at the beginning of, of gremlins, you know? Right. But in this story we learned the rules of Rigel 7 much closer to like the middle so yeah it's been sort of a mystery what's going on up until now but he kind of starts laying out the ground rules like you know we don't lose the deeply known things but who we are where we live goes away so like you'll have like instincts for what you do but you won't know detail about it and like how you learned it and stuff like that And the people in the palace are not afflicted by this. They have some kind of protection against it that's not well understood. So they, like, get taken to this this work site, to quarry, where they're being asked to, like, hit rocks with sledgehammers. Pretty clear, like, right away that one form of deep knowledge that Mbenga definitely doesn't have is how to use a saw. (laughs) He's used to bone saws, right? Right. Those are different. Very different. He's not used to having to uh, move it back and forth like this. Right. <laughs> Pike and, and La'an are talking about like, yeah, like, I mean, look at our soft ass hands. Like, I have this one callus right in the middle of my palm, and that's obviously from putting out candles, but I can't like hold this hammer and hit rocks with it all day. I'll get a blister. Really long scene here about the hands and, and yeah. Pike's soft, supple fingers just made mm. for exploring and satisfying. Yeah. 
It's like he puts it in a glove with lotion every night. I know. I'm a hand model, mama. Yeah, those face and body boys wouldn't understand. <laughs> it's like to be him. He sort of gestures at the rest of the camp, mm -hmm. working very hard. This turns into a real Jason Bourne moment when Pike and Laon discover they are incredible at fighting and, uh, you know, start a revolution where they beat the shit out of a bunch of guards. But, like, how long is Pike fighting on his own before Laon hops in there? Like, everyone's just watching. <laughs> I love this scene for how bizarre it unfolds. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I mean, they talk about everybody else having been sort of conditioned, but I think Laon is just shocked when he starts yeah. opening up his can of whoop-ass. One of the things that Pike forgot was to get a definite agreement on the plan from Laon. <laughs> yeah. She takes a pretty nasty knife swipe to the belly, and Mbenga has healer knowledge, but understands that this is a cut that is kind of beyond you know, the skills of instinct that he has to rely on. This is a sound we've heard a million times watching movies and TV, but I'll never get used to the sound of a sword slicing through an abdomen. Yeah. Ugh, I just got squicked out even thinking about it. It's nasty. Good sound design. Speaking of uh, medical emergencies... Nurse Chapel and Una are talking about what's going on up on Enterprise, and a third of the crew is already, like, basically gone with this affliction. Sorry, explain it again? Una's, like, trying to recall, like, the landing party. <laughs> like, her genetic modifications do not harden her against this situation. I was thinking a lot about that in this scene, and I was thinking a lot about Spock, too, in the neither of them are really betraying to what extent... They're afflicted by this. Yeah. They're still trying to hold on. They are. Spock orders Ortegas to put the ship into the debris field, like get a little bit of distance between us and the planet, and maybe the debris field will shield us from whatever's causing this. But uh, nobody even has the capacity to wonder out loud whether the debris field is the problem. Yeah. Helpfully, Spock has handed out personnel files to everyone on the crew which I've got to believe was a extremely tall stack for him to carry around about 20 minutes ago. <laughs> right? Yeah. He hands one of those iPads to uh, a Commander McDuff, who I didn't remember from the show, but that might just be because I'm so sleep deprived. There's something wrong with the captain. I'm taking command of this vessel. Fighter all weapons. How amazing would that have been if this episode took that kind of left? <laughs> wow. Wow. So Luke, who uh, we learn to be the name of this local. Oh, you're talking about character actor Reed Bernie? I think things could have been a lot worse. He has a name? Yeah. Oh. It's Luke. And uh, he takes everybody to his yurt, which he's decorated in this real like boho chic vibe. A little bit problematic with the like you know, culturally appropriated religious imagery. But uh, this totem has been passed down in his family, so it's like, it's fine. You get the sense that they don't move camp a lot given the size of the totem, right? Yeah. <laughs> that thing, that thing like is there to stay. Real pain in the ass to schlep around. Is that the real reason that uh, character actor Reed Bernie hasn't picked up a moved camp? He just doesn't have the heart to leave the totem behind? <laughs> <laughs> it seems so important. I'd have a real problem with that. Yeah. 
he is advocating for the let La'an die worldview. The rest of them are like, we're not sure that she's actually important to us, but like that seems really fucking cold-blooded, man. I'm not ready to have my last moments yet. Thank you. He's really like trying to teach them the ways of living without a memory. Like, hey, like, it's fine. Like, you're not even going to remember her tomorrow, <laughs> you know? Hey, Cheetahs don't deserve nothing in Latinum. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in below-the-kilt care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. Hi, Adam Pranica here for Podshop.biz, the easy way to dress, drink, and decorate virtually anything fast with embarrassment that lasts. Podshop.biz is not a cult, and it's not a multi-level marketing scheme. It's a supercharged carousel of crap spinning at a high rate of speed for all your dorky needs. Ordinary web stores are a mess, but with Podshop.biz, you'll find products from all of our shows referring to many of our most popular bits. Shirts, glasses, and bags from other websites can damage your mood, but not with Podshop.biz. Our nerdy, jokey bullshit will rebuild your damaged attitude and turn you into a person with riz. Turn your laptop from off the shelf to off the hook with a sticker. Make pool time cool time with our line of hilarious swimwear. And stop raw-dogging your smartphone. Strap it up with the choice of designs that'll have you go from saying hello to hello. But that's not all. At podshop.biz, you can choose from 
the Brenner Information Systems Collection, the Uxbridge Shimoda Corporate Collection, this old enterprise, logos for Greatest Generation and Greatest Trek, and more. Order now at Podshop.biz. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, there's a new ship. She's got the right name. She's got the right name. Now you remember that, you hear? It all feels very Buddhist, right? The whole idea of like the struggle and ceasing that struggle in order to alleviate suffering. He seems very at peace with this whole thing. The forgetting is a blessing. And he describes the two types of Kalar on the planet. He's like, look, you got the guys like us who are hammering stones and attempting to saw wood very badly. And he kind of gestures at Mabanga. And uh, <laughs> like really unnecessary dig on Mbanga there. And he's like, look, and then there are the castle people. And the castle people remember everything. And that's their burden. Yeah. That's their scene. And that sounds awful. We're free. We forget all of the sad things that happened to us. And uh, we just get to dig on this cool totem and uh, and live our, our lives. Salt of the earth. That's us. Pike's not ready to just lose his memories. No, doesn't like it. There's enough conflict within him, memory-wise, where he's like, I can't sit here and do nothing. We got to save La'an, a person I clearly care a lot about. Yeah. And we need to get our memories back in order to remember how to, to heal her is the order of operations. And character actor Reed Bernie is like, all right, I'm so in the moment, this moment, I'm going to help. You are guided by your emotions. They are your truth. I find them convincing. He's like, emotionally, I'm vibing with you. So let me tell yeah. you, like, there's a rumor that uh, in the castle, there's like a casket that they keep their memories in, and that's what protects them. They're gonna go to the castle and they're gonna get memories. <laughs> yup. Uh, <laughs> like that song. Yeah, it's just like that song. 
you know, he's like a little bit nervous about actually like raiding that place. But Pike is like, listen, man, look at these hands. It's either callous or palace. You can't have both. Yeah. I clearly grew up there. So we got to go there. Callous, palace, or ass. <laughs> Nobody goes to the castle for free. <laughs> That's a bumper sticker, right? Yeah, we got, got some bumper stickers showing up in the store. Hotshop.biz. That's the stupidest bumper sticker ever. <laughs> totally impenetrable. But if you're a greatest Trek fan yeah. and a fan of Strange New Worlds, that's exactly the bumper sticker for you. Yeah. Everybody has decided that this is Pike's moment. They're going to go raid the palace for those memories. And uh, character actor, what's his face? <laughs> Reed Burn. I think things could have been a lot worse. Admits that uh, he is sad. He doesn't know why he is sad. He thinks he may have had a family. He doesn't want those memories. Those memories probably force him to confront whatever's making him so damn sad. If your character actor Reed Burney, this scene is why you take this role. I am past the need to remember. His character doesn't want his memories back. He feels the weight of them without the specificity of them in a way that feels like totally lived in and self-actualized. Like he says these things and ordinarily I feel like with a, a character less well-written or an actor just unable to portray the sense, you'd be like, bullshit. Like, you're either lying or you have not come to grips with your feelings. Yeah. But this combination of actor and writer of dialogue and music made me feel like the death of Hammer. I thought this was one of the best scenes in, in Strange New Worlds I'd ever seen. I fucking love this moment. It's a kind of unmooring cut because we go up to the bridge and everybody on the bridge is totally disoriented and there's like alert beeps happening all over the place. And Ortegas and Spock have this conversation. We're like, who the fuck are you? Who the fuck am I? Who the fuck are you? What are we doing here? What are all these annoying beeps? This doesn't feel good. It feels bad good chance this is our ship it's like waking up on a fire truck that's in motion with like <laughs> lights and sirens going like it's got to be so crazy feeling they are now in the meteor belt around this planet surrounded by these space rocks you know been two moons smashed there mm. ass to ass <laughs> they're in the space spot yeah spock has lost to his ability to read what a tragedy Ortegas wants to feel safe, and so she gets the fuck out of here because the bridge does not feel like that to her. And kind of through a bunch of accidental happenstance questions triggering Siri actually does find her way down uh, to her quarters. And I love the moment in the hallway where, you know, everybody is kind of lost on the ship and doesn't know what's going on. And you Think that there's this moment of recognition between her and Nurse Chapel. How you doing? And then there isn't. Yeah. We've learned that love is an emotion that kind of transcends memory in the context of this experience because we've talked about Pike's special necklace and how he knows it's meaningful to him and that whoever gave it to him is very important in his life. Someone to whom he is connected via a very strong pasta noodle. But uh, 
I guess Ortegas and Nurse Chapel aren't feeling each other like that. We can finally settle that. Yeah. It's not happening. <laughs> I guess not. Let me ask you a question. It would seem like from this scene where Ortegas is in her quarters on the floor talking to the computer that she could work from home. Because when the computer asks her if she wants to do a course correction, she doesn't go through with it. But could she have gone through with it? Could she pilot the ship from bed? I think she could, but all these middle management types like Una Chin Riley are like so into being in a place where they are in charge of people that they uh, they are yeah. like forcing everybody to actually come into the office, even though a lot of living proof exists now that it's not really necessary to get the work done. So if you could be here around... Nine. That would be great. Okay. Let me tell you something. Will Riker could do it from bed verbally. <laughs> he did it verbally in Encounter at Farpoint. Yeah, he sure did. Just leave him in bed. He's double tasking. Well, Ortega's went home to feel safe and in conversation with the computer finds out she's the pilot and uh, decides she might be the only person on the ship that can get them out of this danger that they're in because they're now getting walloped by meteors. So she heads back up to the bridge and we head down to the planet where Pike and Mbenga have run into trouble. Like we, <laughs> I love the like we're losing time and don't remember exactly how we approach the castle. But here I am behind the guards getting ready to kick their asses moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nice edit that really puts us in the mindset of our characters. Yeah, it's great. If there was ever a time for Mbenga to drink the green juice, it would be now. Mm. Clearly, he has none. Maybe he drank it and doesn't remember that he drank it. Yeah. That's a great call. Because he starts kicking this guy's ass. Like, he gets winged with a, a phaser shot later, but he like... He takes this guy fucking apart. Yeah. I love this moment. It's really cool. Their break into the castle is going awesome. Up on the ship, Ortegas, you know, tries hard as hell to hang on to her identity and her job on her way back to the bridge. She's like repeating it to herself over and over again, which I thought was such a funny <laughs> piece of script writing. And I thought a very funny performance too. Like the the comedy gear that uh, this actor has is so good. She's like super funny all through this episode. A mantra can be a way for a person to... Uh... A mantra can be a way to harness their own special feelings about their talents and abilities in moments of doubt. You're going to get in the driver's seat of the ship and you don't even remember your first name? You're going to kill somebody. You're going to serve customers while talking to yourself the entire time? That's not customer service. You're driving them away. <laughs> no wonder you're losing $10,000 a month. You're right. It's a great moment. And I love that Spock, like, <laughs> Spock is also there, like, riding shotgun. Not really clear on what he's supposed to do, but he knows he's supposed to be right there. Yeah. And so he is. I guess I'll sit in this seat next to you and, like, yeah. tell you I trust you, because that seems to be helping right now for some reason. Yeah. Back on Rigel 7, Pike has shot his way into the throne room. Mbenga was left outside to take on the oncoming horde. And uh, there, Pike is confronted with King Zack, and they both trade a bunch of fire in this really cool set. Yeah. This location was amazing, and I love the height of it specifically. It 
looks awesome on camera and like they're not delicate with it, you know? Like yeah. sometimes when you shoot in like an actual fancy house, you can't like mess it up that much. So, you know, <laughs> you can't do like a compound fight scene that has, you know, practical explosives in it and stuff the way they do here. They did a good job making this fight about them. Like in the way you're describing, Ben, like you don't get a lot of cutaways to like a statue getting shot and breaking apart. Right. Or like all the filler shots that you'd get from something like this. It's really tight. Yeah. The greatest trick is yet to come. Pike is still, you know, not himself. He doesn't remember anything. He just knows that this is one of the many dudes that he is fighting on his way to figure out where this casket is. He wins the fight and is like, you know, beating the shit out of Zack and finds out that it is in fact not a casket that protects the memories of the people that live inside the castle. The palace has like is like made out of an ore that shields them from the weird radiation that is uh, affecting the planet and the helmets that they wear when they go out, effectively tinfoil hats that uh, keep them from being affected when they're on missions. It's a dark scene though, because like Pike is getting ready to beat this dude to death. Earlier, I was really effusive with that scene with character actor Reed Burney and his monologue about his circumstances. I think things could have been a lot worse. And I definitely want to call attention to this scene for Anton Mount because I really feel like it's acting on hard mode to sort of act like Pike, but not really. Yeah. Because you're suffering from memory loss and also demanding memories in a line of dialogue. That's a tough thing to yell at someone. And not sound super silly. Exactly. I need our memories! So good job by him. And it's also tough to walk this line of like, you know, Pike has like a gun pointed at this guy's face when the memories come back. Like he's been inside the palace long enough that whatever the effect is wears off enough that he comes back to himself. And you kind of get the sense that Zach was saved by the bell. Uh, what are you going to do with me? But like you also don't walk away from the scene going like Pike has like real darkness and vengeance inside of him. Do you think this was his data from the most toys moment? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Thought the same thing. Murder me. That's all you have to do. Go ahead. Fire. But that wouldn't have been his fault if he'd killed him the way it would have been if data had. But wouldn't it? Cause like, it's still the same organism, right? Just because he like, doesn't have his memories doesn't make him not the being that did the thing. One of my favorite parts of being lobotomized <laughs> is that I have full criminal immunity <laughs> from any crimes because I do not remember them. Ask me where I was on January 6th. First of all, I do not remember. And second of all, it doesn't matter. I don't know, man. I, I would kind of give Pike the pass. Yeah. Under the circumstances, say Data pulls the trigger and does kill that guy. And Pike pulls the trigger and kills this guy. Are they equally guilty? I feel like Pike's a little more innocent. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. It's a... Uh... 
a scene that's made more interesting when Pike says, like, the memory loss reveals who you really are Mm -hmm. in this way that sort of pushes him towards, you know, an admission that he does have some culpability for what he was about to do, but also, you know, elucidates this idea that Zach did, like, totally the wrong things with a very bad situation and... Pike did like substantially fewer wrong things with that bad situation. And like the second he remembers, he's like, Zach, I was like totally broken up when I thought you had died on the surface. Like, you're like butt hurt that I never came back for you. I was too busy like feeling terrible that we'd lost you. Pike is so great in this moment because he's like, Look, I'm sorry for the earlier stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All the stuff after I left, that's on you, bud. Yeah, none of that shit's my fault. That's you. Yeah. <laughs> that is some real strategic apologizing right there. I loved it. Poor Zach. We never see him again. I so wanted there to be a denouement where, like, we see him getting put in cuffs or whatever. Oh, yeah. And, like, made to report to his Starfleet trial. I wish we got one more scene. Twist, Adam. He's in that prisoner transport at the beginning of Star Trek Discovery. Oh shit. Oh wait. That wouldn't that doesn't work in the timeline. Fuck. <laughs> no, I love that idea. Uh, no one pays attention to timelines anymore. No, who needs them? Yeah. He goes back through Carl's hole into the that prisoner transport from the beginning of Discovery. So Pike secured the castle and Laan and Umbenga are brought in there because Umbenga can remember how to administer medical care after a short while, but he looks over it. King Zach and he's like, whoa, what the fuck happened to him? <laughs> he's like, he was beaten to within an inch of his life. You, you've you just found him this way, Pike? Yeah, and Pike's like, yeah, man, weird, huh? He was like that when I walked in. <laughs> so Laon's going to live, and that's good, because they uh, there was an old toolbox near the throne full of the old Starfleet stuff in it yeah. from when Zach was, was Yeoman Zach and not King Zach. Character actor Reed Burney comes in, despite his misgivings about uh, coming into the palace, he comes in and reconnects with his memories of his family. Thank you for giving them all back to me. I thought that this was a scene that was going to be about him having accidentally caught on fire because they frame him up with a (laughs) brazier burning in the background and it really looks like his head has flames coming out of it. (laughs) A couple of these shots. You maybe want to reframe this after seeing what it looks like. (laughs) He, like a certain captain later on, likes his pain. He needs his pain. Mm. That's the realization he's come to. He harnesses it. Yeah. Keeps him on the edge where he's got to be. Back on the Enterprise, we get a bookend Ortega's log to tell us all about how the asteroid field was the problem the whole time. And that idea Spock had about hiding in it was bad and wrong. Spock fucked up, but he made amends by retuning the shields to protect them. Yeah. And in the mission's final act, they they use dueling shuttles to bring that bad asteroid up off of the surface of the planet. And then they wing it back into the debris field. Yeah. That seems pretty dangerous. It really got my attention because I was watching this asteroid disappear into the field and I'm like, Waiting for the big boom to happen. <laughs> it's going to hit something. Did they just wing it all the way through? That thing's dangerous. 
I also thought for sure when it was behind the Enterprise that they would just destroy it Yeah, with phasers or photons. But would it actually vaporize? Like, would it change the state of the matter? Yeah. Yeah, you don't know. Yeah. Anyways, there's a, uh, a button on the episode, and this is Pike giving Captain Battelle the apology he owes her. I thought this was a great scene. It really felt like... It's Pike talking his way back into someone's good graces in a way that is classically Pike, but also it doesn't make it seem like he's like tricking Battelle into loving him again. He is like acknowledging where he fucked up and telling her how he realized what a huge mistake he'd made and begging her forgiveness in a way that felt real and good. The scene also avoided the trope or the trap of turning Patel into someone who is being difficult for difficult sake or whatever, or just wanting him to try harder or grovel more right. or whatever. It really seems like they come to an agreement about what they are in a way that feels like real and not gameplay or anything. Yeah. And the way that they begin blocked across opposite sides of the room and get closer and closer, that's, Really nicely done. Yeah, until their mouths are touching. And we realize that this is a Star Trek where the captain navigates a relationship. Yeah. Along with the work. This is not a faraway husband in a picture frame like Janeway had. This is not a woman you fuck under a waterfall occasionally <laughs> if you're Captain Picard. <laughs> you know? Nor is it a, uh, a book, space pirate type guy. And an occasional love interest to uh, Michael Burnham. Right. You've gotten a number of examples of like really difficult relationship situations. And that's putting it generously. This seems like something that could be a thing that works. Yeah. These seem like two moons that could collide in a good way. Yeah. Making sexy debris. Mm. <laughs> Are Pike's quarters right next to 10 forward? Oh, because on the pullout, you go out the window and you see, like, great quarters, Pike. We've always known that from the inside. It did seem like they were a little off-center from the bridge, right? Yeah, but, like, if 10 forward is, like, dead center, yeah, it feels like Pike is, like, maybe uh, just a little bit off-angle. I don't think that's where I would want my quarters to be if I was the captain. If I was the captain and I like to cook a lot, do you like the idea of going in a 10 forward and getting some uh, ingredients, you know? Oh, that's, yeah, that's pretty good. It's right there. Yeah. But I wouldn't want to hear the music during club hours. Right. And I definitely wouldn't want to hear trivia night through the wall. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Do not want that. But did you like this episode, Ben? Oh, boy. I really liked this episode. I thought it was a great adventure. I thought the planet looked really cool and was a very interesting environment. Like, it's so fun to see them bring a modern budget and sensibility to the cardboard sets of a place that TOS visited. Yeah. And really plus it up and make it look great. And, you know, I thought the performances were all really good. And I thought it was like a, a pretty unique Star Trek dilemma that they had to solve. And I liked the way they solved it. And I think it, you know, does a nice job of both being a pretty self-contained episode, but also giving us some interesting character developments for Pike, who I was really glad to see at the center of an episode finally. Yeah, me too. He really goes through some trauma here. A lot of things 
in this episode. I agree with you on the reskin of Rigel 7 and how like how difficult a decision it's got to be to create stories on this show and be attracted to the idea of returns to familiar places, but also the pitfalls and going back there. Because sometimes you just run into that problem where it's Klingons in season one of Discovery, where it's like so distractingly different that you're just in your own head about why things look the way they do instead of thinking about the story. These were distinct Rigel 7 people. They they just got an update. They look like that's where they belonged. So I liked how they handled that. I liked how they handled the location. Yeah. This is a terrifying episode if you have someone in your life with any sort of mental decline, though. Like, this is heavy stuff all the way through, I thought. Yeah. And, you know, as challenging as the subject matter is like that, it was, I thought, a heavy lift in terms of performance and dialogue. Like, Anton Mount and character actor Reed Burney really go toe-to-toe on this one, and I thought they both did so great in just making you feel for their circumstances. I would say the only thing that I wish was different was like, I just want a little more King Zack here. His circumstances were so interesting to me and the tension between him and Pike, so acute. Like I love the climactic fight with them and I love the question about whether or not Pike would kill him. But like, I really do want that after the fight moment with King Zack where like, did he ever really come to terms with this? Did he ever really forgive Pike? Could he ever really forgive him? Like, is there a future for him after being taken back up to the ship and put into custody? What does justice look like for a King's Zack? I really don't know. King's Zack is a, another really interesting performance that I feel like we didn't talk about enough in this episode. Like, I think that he doesn't get a ton of scenes, but the actor that played King's Zack really gave a lot of really strong pathos to that role. And yeah, I would be curious to see a follow-up story about King Zack. Can that character be rehabilitated? Like what what do they feel once they are off-world and back in the future and reconnecting with their memories and stuff? If he's rehabilitated, I bet you he can't stop talking about it to everyone around him. <laughs> yeah, you know I'm you know I'm cleaning up the guts in engineering right now, but there was a time where I was king. <laughs> like a real uh, end of Army of Darkness kind of monologue here. But in my own way, I am king. Hail to King Zack, baby. <laughs> Edward, you want to see if there's anything on our priority one inbox? Oh, yeah. The, the kings of messages are the priority ones. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. The first P1 we have here is from Michael, and it's to us, and it goes like this. Sending some scarves to celebrate getting current on Greatest Trek just in time for Picard Season 3. Shout out to Mallory and Cat the Cat for getting me hooked on this stupid podcast that's entertained me on drives between Texas and Missouri. Thanks, Adam and Ben, for nearly causing laughter-induced car accidents at 75 miles per hour. Keep it up. <laughs> oh, boy. Who knows what our body count is, Ben? <laughs> I, don't like, I don't like contemplating that. <laughs> what a way to go. Ugh. I want to go out like that. Going out laughing. So embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, going out laughing would be nice. Going out laughing to this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty rough. 
the medical examiner like changes the station to NPR or something. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a solid move. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I like listen, man. I don't want I don't want a P one to ever be the third verse of Stan, where we're like realizing <laughs> <laughs> the person we're talking about already yeah. already bought it. Yeah. No way. I want our show to be more equivalent to like just a Dido song. Mm. That'd be nice. Momentarily enjoyable. <laughs> really pleasant to listen to. You don't hate it when it comes on when you're like shopping at a yeah. sort of upscale store, you know? And you're exactly. like, you're really playing Eminem? Oh no, it's just Dido. Nice. Ben, our second priority one message is from Sam. It's to you and me. The message goes like this. Dear Ben and Adam. I've missed your various tour stops in my hometown of Chicago over the years. So I flew to Manhattan to catch the re-encounter at Farpoint show in person. Wow. (laughs) I had to leave right after the show to fly home, so I didn't get to say hi. So sending this P1 greeting instead. Mazel! Chicago FODs hope to meet you someday. Best, Sam. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, I hope Sam wasn't mad at us for then releasing it as a stream on the internet later. (laughs) They're not mad at us. Yeah. FODs like us. I guess so. Sam's not mad. That always shocks me, but I think you're right about that. What Sam really missed was that great party at Hinterlands. That was a great party. Hey, Sam, we're going to be back in Chicago this year. You know it. Reviewing Star Trek V. Please come up and say hi to us after the show. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, if you'd like to get yourself a Priority One message, whether you're trying to line it up with the beginning of Picard Season 3 or after the re-encounter at Farpoint, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and get one today. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? I did. I'm going to give it to uh, character actor Reed Burney for looking like his head was on fire in that one scene. (laughs) It was one of those things where it was like one shot where a little lick of flame went up past his head. And I was like, oh, no, he's he's on fire. And then I, you know, my mind went like, what would motivate him being on fire suddenly? Like, why would... Like that nothing has happened in the story that would lead me to believe that they would turn this character toward being on fire. And then the camera cuts back and then cuts back to him. And he looks even more on fire in the next (laughs) shot. (laughs) Just imagine like the director checking this out in the monitor and going, all right, let's reposition a little bit. And then checking the monitor again. And it's even more on fire. (laughs) Yeah, they're like... Reed Bernie, you're on fire today. Uh, I thought I recognized this actor. I saw him off Broadway in like 2004 in a play. I'm sure you did. This guy works. Yeah. A play called Bug, which I really liked. He's awesome. And he's uh, he's doing a ton of stuff. He was in the menu last yeah. year, Adam. I love the menu. I had multiple people text me when the menu came out, like out of the blue. People I hadn't heard from in a long time going, you will love the menu and you should see it. (laughs) My wife and I watched the first half of the menu and then we got too scared and we turned it off. (laughs) Oh, no. You only saw the first half? Yeah, we saw the first half. Oh, you got to watch the second half. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Oh, it is so hard to stop a movie. I'm really impressed by that. Jeez. Yeah, we could just tell. I mean, 
partly because uh, the one guy really seemed to be making fun of me personally, the uh. the Nicholas Holt character. <laughs> <laughs> Did not like that particular feeling. Um <laughs> I mean, I did like the idea of getting to go on a date with Anya Taylor Joy. That would be delightful. But uh, sure, yeah. Anyways, it was too scary, and we turned it off. <laughs> ben, I had a different Edward Larkin picked out, but I too am going to recognize character actor Reed Bernie with mine. His monologue in the middle, his scene with Pike, straight up choked me up. The main effort in my life is like choosing which anxieties to ignore. <laughs> and like the way he talks about just setting things down that he doesn't need and like going about the business of his life, I thought was amazingly articulated and tragic yeah. and done in only the way character actor Reed Bernie could deliver. Isn't it amazing that he is like making a very persuasive case that he is the person that is truly free? Yeah. Well, at the same time. As a viewer, you're like, you have fooled yourself into thinking you are free. I think if you miscast this character, the entire episode falls apart. This is a structural moment. This is like the totem in the yurt for for this episode. <laughs> and character actor Reed Bernie is the totem in the yurt here. Wow. Shout out to the totem in the yurt. We stand a legend. You remember that story, Ben? The totem in the yurt. Mm. The totem needs to get across the river. Right, <laughs> and the yurt's riding on him. The yurt's like, I'm not going to sink you in the river. Yeah, I'm I'm a yurt. They keep letting the totem in the yurt a little bit more and a yeah. little bit more, and they're like, What does this have to do with that river? <laughs> so stupid. And then the yurt is like, I can't operate on this totem. It's yeah. my son. How is that possible? Uh, it's one of the great stories. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great story told well. Mm-hmm. Great Larkins for both, Ben. We can really remember the details of that story. <laughs> uh, one thing we won't have to remember is a warning, Bois, Ben, because we read those. Yeah. When they're sent in. These are when people go online and talk about the show in a way that invites in folks who might like the show while also making clear what the vibe of the show is and thereby discouraging the wrong type of listener from accidentally listening to something that they wouldn't care for. I really feel like the the totem and the yurt story is emblematic of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. Today's warning buoy is from Ron Nerwasa, who I think put this on Facebook. It says, not sure where to put this, but this FOD got to fulfill a lifelong dream and appear on Jeopardy. My episode airs Friday, June 23rd, and there's even a Star Trek-related question that I got right. Happy to hear from any FODs who have been on and or want to try out for the show. Editing to add, the love from this group is so amazing, FODs are the best. Ron was on Jeopardy with my Mbialik hosting! Pretty crazy, right? That's so cool! Ron's been a great FOD for a long, long time. Yeah. I know we've had interactions online with him before. Definitely. Super cool. Super impressed. He made it on Jeopardy. That's absolutely wild. Um, we're recording this before the 23rd, and I need to make a note to watch on the 23rd because that would be so exciting to see a real friend of DeSoto right there on television. Incredible. Congratulations, and thanks to Ron. 
yeah. for spreading the word about the show. Indeed. If you'd like to spread the word about the show, post online or leave a nice review on Apple Podcasts, whatever you can do to get the word out about what we do in a fun way that, uh, you know, make sure we're the butt of the joke and uh, <laughs> get the word out. We really appreciate because uh, that's how we grow the show. Well, another episode of Strange New Worlds in the books. Feeling pretty good about this one. Feeling pretty good about the season so far. Yeah, so far so good. Go ahead and uh, take a listen to the credits. Wendy will let you know a little bit about what we've got in store next week on Greatest Trek. Listen to our other Star Trek podcast, Greatest Generation, also right here on MaximumFun.org. And uh, we really appreciate all of you. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Next week, it's Season 2, Episode 5 of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. It's called Charades. We'll have the network's logline for that at the end of Monday's Greatest Generation, and Ben and Adam will be back in this feed with that review next Friday. All of the original music for this show was composed by Adam Ragusea. He has a podcast and a YouTube cooking channel that you can find by searching for Adam Ragusea. Thanks to Nick Dittmore for creating the show art and Bill Tilly for managing the At Greatest Trek social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Mastodon. Follow those accounts and use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you talk about the show online. As always, we're really grateful to the members who are helping keep the show going at MaximumFun.org join. That's where you can join as a member. And if you have a moment to support for free, we really appreciate your five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or just tell someone that you know about the show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.